So good to see all of you. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up. We're going to study it. We're walking through a series. Actually, we're coming to the close of this series, really important teaching series for us called City on a Hill. And uh, this morning, I'm going to try to bring all this and sort of wrap it all up and bundle it all up this week and next week and bring it all together for us. So just... um. This is going to be a little bit different of a message than the kind of message that I normally bring because I, I want to make sure as we come to the end of this series that is very much about who we are as a church, I want to make sure to slow down a little bit and talk about in a very kind of Brookhills conscious way about what's happening right now and, and what are we trusting God to do in the future. So I'm it's going to be a little bit out of the ordinary for us, but give me some, some elbow room and we'll walk through a slightly unconventional approach. So just start with, you see there in your notes, why this series? So a couple of things in the background. We, we walked through, if you were here in 2017, really important year for us because we started the year by thinking about eight distinctives that we want to pursue as a church. In the present and in the future, this was the kind of forward march. It was a stake in the ground series. This is who we are. Let's see it in God's word so you know I'm not making it up. It's right here in the word, and we just kept looking one after another, and here, here they are. But if you put together that series with this series, the Pursue series, this is the City on the Hill series, you see this language. We pursue transformation so we abide biblically. We pursue worship, so we gather faithfully. We pursue community, so we connect meaningfully. We pursue kindness, so we welcome graciously. We pursue ministry, so we invest sacrificially. We pursue outreach, so we engage locally. We pursue mission, so we reach globally. And we pursue faith, so we risk intentionally. So that is an effort, 2017 and then 2019, is an effort to give you handles on who we are as a church and to see that straight in God's word. So so then the question is, why why the City on a Hill series now? We Are was in 2017, this one now. Um, If you've been here for, for the last several months, you know this is an important season for us. We've had a number of important conversations in recent months, and, but even beyond some of that, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, even beyond that, there's just, there's something stirring at Brook Hills, and I, I hope you've already sensed it, but I want to let you know it's happening. It's certainly happening among our leaders. It's happening in all the areas and all the halls up and down in our offices and among our staff. So, for example, in Global Missions, we spent the early part of this year Chip Bugner, our global pastor, myself, his team, we spent that part of the year over in Dubai collecting together our church planters and saying, let's hit the reset button and let's do this. Like, let's be all in. Let's talk together. Let's find out how we can improve. Where have we gone wrong? Let's, uh, let's talk. Let's dream about the future. Let's strategize about what can happen next and how, how missions can be stronger here as we take ownership as a congregation of the work that you're doing and how it can be stronger where you are. And, and all of us, I think this was the unanimous feeling around the room, we all left Dubai immensely encouraged. They, for their part, as Missionaries on the field and, and us for our part as those who seek to support and strengthen them. 
So that, that's missions, but then come over into just local world, right here in local disciple making. So I got reports this week. I asked for reports um, from our local disciple making area. I just said, tell me stories. And I had no idea what was going to hit my inbox. Just pages and pages and pages of stories of how God is at work in children, men and women's lives, women's ministries, students, college, all over the life of our church. And so there's just a sense that God is on the move. Things are happening. I just spent uh, Wednesday night talking to our elders. And I said, guys, can we, can we just look in a fresh way at, at the possibilities for us in the future? And can we have and rise to the occasion with a kind of newfound gospel optimism? Because God seems to be doing stuff right here and right now. And even as I'm sharing some of that stuff with the elders... Uh, I heard from several of them after, and you could just kind of sense even in the room, even once I was done talking, we had a time of prayer, and you could just hear there was a forward-leaning eagerness right there in the elder council. It was incredibly encouraging. And then I, I, got, a, I got a faith-filled email from a member of our church family, unsolicited email, and if you love C.S. Lewis, this will touch your heart because one of her one of her phrases that she uses was she said, I just feel like Aslan is on the move. And I thought, I think you're right. Were you at elder council meeting? <laughs> like, it, it's just, God is doing stuff here. And, and so part of the purpose of this series is just to say, can we hit the reset button and be all in and reinvest everything that we have, everything that we are, for the work that God has called us to do right here in our community, in this city, and around the world. And so with that, rewind back to the fall of last year where we decided as a church, in the grace of God, he led us as a church to make a decision to invest in a fresh way in the ministry that happens right here on our campus and right here from this campus. And so if you're new here this morning... I'm not going to go through and geek out about all the details of that, but I'll just kind of catch you up on some of the big, big rocks, the things that are going to be addressed in this construction project, this campus development project. It involves replacing our temporary lobby with a permanent lobby that's, that's new and that's bigger, large enough to facilitate our faith family. It involves replacing the trailers outside, uh, that are used for our on-campus small groups. We've got about 150 small groups. Many of them meet right here on our campus. A lot of them use those trailers outside, and they've had their day, right? So we're talking about intentionally designed new permanent space to facilitate that much-needed ministry in our church. And then I know there's a lot of excitement about what we were just praying about. There's a lot of excitement about this component of the project that's investing in a great new space for our growing Brook Hills Kids Ministry, which has just been growing by leaps and bounds. And so the construction for that project begins this summer. That'll be on us before we even know it. And it wouldn't be wise for us to come to that moment, just let that sneak up on us. It's like, oh, bulldozers. You know, like we want to come to that moment prepared and we want to come to that moment knowing what we're all about and why we're even doing this in the first place. So I've got a good friend on staff and um, he told me some sometime back when his daughter went off to college. She just graduated from college. But he said, you know what I tell her every time she goes off to college? I tell her the same thing. I say, I love you and remember who you are. And that's why this series is placed right here. 
because I don't want bulldozers to end up showing up on this property and us to not know who we are or why we're doing what we're doing. I want us to remember the who, remember the why in view of the what and what's taking place in the how. So that's why this series is here. So that even when all that work is beginning and even when that work is done, we're like, what are we about? What are we about? We pursue worship and we pursue transformation and community and ministry, kindness, outreach, mission, faith. That's what we're doing all day, 24-7. That's what we're about as a church. All our gatherings are about that. All of our small groups are aimed at that. Every team on our staff, up and down the hall of our offices, every space on this campus is existing to help us become that kind of church. These eight pursuits and the spirit in which we pursue them. So Psalm 48 is open before us, and Psalm 48 is a, is a passage, it's a song about the church. It's a song about what God does in and among his people that makes them strong. It's a song about roots. And so really I want to frame up this, these, this closing of this series in two metaphors, roots and reach. And this text really has both, but we're going to we're going to see particularly the way that it addresses the rootedness of the church. So follow with me, if you would. Psalm 48, starting in verse 1. The Lord is great and highly praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain rising splendidly is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion, the summit of Zaphon, is the city of the great king. God is known as a stronghold in its citadels. Look, The kings assembled, they advanced together. They looked and froze with fear, they fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, agony like that of a woman in labor, as you wrecked the ships of Tarshish with the east wind. Just as we heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of armies, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. God, within your temple, We contemplate your faithful love and like your name, God, so your praise, here's the reach part, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with justice. Mount Zion is glad. Judah's villages rejoice because of your judgments. Go around Zion, encircle it, count its towers, note its ramparts, tour its citadels so that you can tell a future generation This God, our God forever and ever, he will always lead us. So God is taking history somewhere and the vehicle he's using is the church. And that's the story that you see everywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, in 1981, an Old Testament Australian scholar um, named Graham Goldsworthy Goldsworthy wrote a really key book with a really key sentence. And there was one sentence in that book where he said, I'm going to try to summarize the entire Bible in one sentence. And it's been quoted by theologians since 1981. And it is this. It's in your notes. God is bringing his people into his place under his rule and blessing. In other words, Goldsworthy is saying, 
you could essentially write that at the bottom of every page of the Bible, and it'll make sense of what you're reading on that page. It'll help you not lose the forest for the trees. You'll see that even in the midst of these individual stories, these aren't like moral tales. This isn't Aesop's fables, Christianized. This is, there is one big story in the story of Samson's pointing up. Hey, look up there. There's something bigger happening. God is bringing his people into his place under his rule and blessing. And, and that's why I love Psalm 48. Because Psalm 48 is God's favorite story set to music. It's a song about God bringing his people into Zion, within the walls of salvation, rooting them in their faith. They're contemplating his love, and then out goes this reach into the rest of the world as the nations hear about it. So, so when we think about, we're in the series called City on a Hill, when we think about City on a Hill, when we think about being a transformed community of faith that shines its lights right here in our city and in the world, I think of the image of a tree. And I use this image with you in 2017 in the We Are series, that we want to be this tree where the, the canopy reaches as far as the roots run deep. We don't want to be a tree with this massive canopy, and you know, we're, we're all over the world and everything, but we've got shallow roots, and so the slightest wind will blow us over. We're not going to be able to sustain the mission for any length of time because we don't have a solid sending base. We don't have health in the church right here in Birmingham. On the other hand, we don't want to be, you know, deep, deep roots. We know so much about God and we're learning more and more and more and more and more and down and down, deeper, deeper, and we love each other so well, but then you come up above and there's just this bush at the top and it offers no shade to the world. No, we want roots and reach. We want roots that run deep enough to hold up a tree that can stretch across the world. We want roots to enable worldwide reach. That's the picture of health. And so with that vision in mind, I want, I want us to ask a question on our way into this study. Why, why us? Why now? This is a 29-year story in the running, the Church of Brook Hills. Why why invest everything you have, everything you are, your life, your calendar, your time, your talent, your treasure? Why invest that here in the ministry we're doing here and in the mission we're doing in the world, and why do it now? Give me one good reason to be all in. I'm glad you asked. I'll give you three. Number one, because this is a place of salvation. The church is a place of salvation. You see that all over verses one through eight. Our, so our text really does, it doesn't progressively build up to its point. It front loads the point right there in verse one. Verse one was translated, if you grew up in church, you heard verse one translated in the old King James Version. Great is the Lord, anybody know? And greatly to be praised. That's the one that's most familiar to us. And that's the part that's so easily quoted by Christians. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't say great is the Lord and he's greatly to be praised, period. It says he's great and he's greatly to be praised in a certain place. In other words, there's a unique way in which the greatness of God is seen in the city of God, in the church. It says great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. So just look at those metaphors. Let them jump off the page for you. The city of our God, 
The holy, his holy mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the great king, what are those? Those are all poetic references to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, some of you maybe have been there, right? So it's a city set on a hill, surrounded by valleys on three sides. It is literally a city set on a hill. And he's pointing to that reality, speaking of Mount Zion rising splendidly as the joy of the whole earth. As a kid in our church, um, we grew up singing a song about marching to Zion. Maybe you sang it growing up. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching onward to Zion, that beautiful city of God. And we sang that song in, in the church I grew up in over and over, and then there was a key change, and we sang it over and over and over. And so as a kid, I'm thinking, when do we get there? Like, are we ever going to arrive at Zion? It just keeps eluding us with these key changes and modulations, right? But here's the thing. Scholars, in fact, believe that this psalm was used by the people of God in the Old Testament and that they sang it on their way to Zion. They sang it on their way to the annual festivals around the temple, on their way to Jerusalem. They sang this song. And you can almost imagine them turning that last corner, and Jerusalem comes into view. And you're looking at this verse, and it says, Jerusalem rising splendidly, the joy. Looking around, kids, the joy of the earth. We belong there. Our God reveals himself in glory when we gather together as his people. Let's go up to Mount Zion the city of our God, let's worship him there. And you even see here that God is made known in the city of our God. And there's even, it even gives you more specificity. It doesn't just say he's made known in the abstract or in general. It says he's made known in a certain capacity. God has made himself known as a stronghold in Zion, as a fortress in Zion. By the way, it's, it's not a stretch for us to connect Jerusalem language, Zion language with the New Testament church and with what we're doing here this morning. If nothing else, we could just go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and read that the book of Hebrews does exactly that. The writer to the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 48 and says, that's what you're doing when you gather and worship as new covenant believers. He says, you have come to Mount Zion the city of the living God. He's reaching all the way back to this psalm, Psalm 48. So what we're doing here this morning, it's right for us to think Psalm 48 applies to us as a church. In other words, specifically, how does that apply to us? God is known as a stronghold right here. When we gather, we are singing ourselves deep into the story of the gospel that God saves and rescues and redeems and restores. And I love how in verse 4, so it states the principle of what God does in verse 3, and then it tells a story of how he's done it. In verse 4, they actually review a story from their own history. So all the people walking to Zion, remember this story. Remember when there was that coalition of armies of, of worldly powers that were way too strong for us and they angled all their guns in our direction. Remember when they were headed our way and then in the very next verse it says they were running as fast as they could the other way and then their ships were just, just toothpicks on the shoreline because God protected us. It's a story of what God does for his people, for his church. You think about 
gatherings of believers, you think about what happens here on Sunday mornings. Not just Sunday gatherings, you think about what happens when we're in smaller groups of fellowship around the city or here in our on-campus small groups where we gather together for biblical fellowship. What's happening? God is fortifying us as his people. He's making us strong, right? Faith comes by hearing, hearing his word. So we're coming under his word and his word is strengthening us. Or when we get together and we're in small groups and we're confessing our sins and his blood cleanses us as we walk in the light in 1 John chapter 1 or when we encourage one another, we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. What's that doing? God is asserting his stronghold, fortress-like grip on our lives as a church. It's an awesome thing. Corporate worship and biblical fellowship is meant to be a staging area for transformation, for growth, for sanctification, for perseverance in the life of the church. So again, I asked our local disciple-making staff, share some stories about what's happening in your areas of ministry and how God is at work. And I'm reading, on Thursday, I'm reading for two and a half hours. Just flipping page and marking something in the margin, flipping a page, drying my eyes, flipping a page. Just unbelievable stories of how God is currently working in the life of members of our church in and through ministries that are happening all the time. People getting stronger in faith. People being held up in a storm. Story of a woman who, um, whose husband left her not too long ago. This particular story, I knew the ending of that story because this woman asked to come meet with me and she brought a friend and we all met together. This was several months ago and she came in and told me her story and she just read out of her journal. She said, would it be okay if I just kind of read you journal entries and just brag on God? And I said, yes, I'm here all day. Just, just, it was one of the most edifying, encouraging meetings I had all last year. I just sat there and she just told me what God has done rescuing her, giving her hope, calling her small group in the way that they just became a lifeline for her, and then the ways in which she is now stewarding her pain, and she's been sharing the gospel with people in her apartment complex who are isolated and lonely, and people have come to, it's just unbelievable things that are happening in and through this woman's life. People who have walked through fire and God has preserved their faith, volunteers who send emails like this. This is an actual email, quote, no chemo treatment this week. Tell me where I can serve in preschool. I could do this all day. I could have just brought that document, just stood up here and just read it, and you probably would have left more edified than otherwise. But hopefully none of it would be surprising. Why? Because this is a place of salvation. Like that's what God does constantly in the church. He is, he is in transformation mode. He's changing lives. He's restoring things that we thought were broken forever. That's what he's doing here, in here, in the life of the local church. Just this week, a dear member of our church family very nearly lost her child. Baby, four months old. The baby has not been out of the hospital since birth. Four months old and almost lost him Friends of ours right here, Jared Shaw, who's an elder, and his wife, Moana, she's one of the small group leaders. They got the call. Nobody wants to get. They got the call late on Tuesday night. It's like, I, I, I think we're losing him. And they went into full, active, be the church mode. And they started calling people. And the next thing you know, email pops up with a prayer request, urgent prayer need, pray for. 
name of the child, and the name of the mother. And then the next day, the church was active. The church was in motion. First thing in the morning, the church was moving. By the time Jared got off work and rushed over to the hospital, 12 other people were there. Two small groups who connect to this woman. Ten other members of the church are already there praying. We're ready. We're here. We're present. We're for you. Awesome, awesome stories. Yep. <laughs> that's Brook Hills. Like, that's, that's what we do. That's what we're about. Why do we have small groups? So you don't have to fend for yourself and so that you know it. Why do we have recovery groups and grief share and divorce care? Because it makes sense, right, that the church is supposed to set up shop right at the intersection of God's grace and human brokenness. That's exactly where we belong. Where else would we be? That's where he wants us to be, a redemptive community set up right there. Let's do our work right there at that corner. Right? We worship a sovereign God who's still making all things new. That's not old stuff he used to do in days gone by, binding up the brokenhearted. It's the stuff of legend. He's still doing that. He's still giving beauty for ashes. Last week, we took a road trip as a family to, uh, to South Louisiana, and we brought three of Will's close friends and, um, in high school. And so we loaded up the car. It was just some of my favorite people going to one of my favorite places. So we're going to go down to New Orleans. We're going to go down to the Bayou Country and just have a blast for a few days for spring break. And so on our way down there, we've got a car full of high schoolers, and so we listened to uh, the obligatory amount of Christian rap music on the way there, and I dutifully nodded my head on the beat for the most part, uh, and I only had to say, don't make me come back there one time, and it was like a mile from the destination, <laughs> but, but it wasn't just all fun and games. Like there, was, there were deep conversations that happened right there in the back of the vehicle, and one of them said, let's share life verses and why. And one of our high school students said, here's my life first and here's why. And then another one said, here's mine and here's why. And then another one said, my life first is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And someone said, that's a really good verse. And she said, I feel like that's a lot of Christians' life first. And then there was this pause. And she said, Maybe it's because as Christians, we so often feel weak. And in the front seat of the car, I am fist pumping because I'm thinking, she gets it. <laughs> Brooke Hills, I hope, I hope you hear something very clearly. And I hope this is true for us every Sunday. As long as Jesus Christ sits on the throne at God's right hand, you don't have to come here strong. You have a strong Savior. He's strong enough for the both of you. He, you can run to him in your hour of need. You can run to him with your brokenness. You can pound on his chest all day long, and he won't move. He's there. He's a very present help in time of need. He runs to broken people. This church, lest there be any confusion, this group of people is not a company of the perfect, a company of the together. It's, it's a company of the redeemed. That's our story, right? He came and got us. Right? That's the story of the gospel. He came and just straight up got us. Took, give me your sin, give me your shame, give me your guilt. I'll take it to the cross. He took it to the cross. He'll take yours. He'll take your guilt. He'll take your sin. He'll take your shame. That's our story. What do I have to do to get in on that? 
Turn from the weak thing that you're trusting in that's going to fail you in due time and trust in this one hope of the world that God has provided for our salvation. His cross is enough. His resurrection changes everything. This is a place of salvation. Why invest in our ministry here and why invest in our mission in the world? Because number one, this is a place of salvation. Number two, this is a place of joy. And you see joy there in verse 11. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit more of this next week. So I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. But in verse, you see what produces the joy of God's people is, is this verse 9. God, within your temple, we contemplate your faithful love. So it's meditating on the love of God that creates this unshakable foundation of joy in the life of the believer. It's a glorious thing. The ESV translates verse 9. We have thought on your steadfast love in the midst of your temple. Steadfast is not really a word that we use in English these days, right? Except in church. So what, is, what does it mean, steadfast? It comes from two old English words, one which means place and the other which means fixed. It's a fixed place, not giving any ground. So in other words, the steadfast love of God is love that digs its heels in. It's stubborn, it's not gonna move it's not going to shift. It's not going to give up any ground. It's unchanging love. And this has been the central theme of God's people for thousands of years. You go all the way back to the beginning, the ribbon cutting of the Temple of Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. It's one of the loudest chapters of the whole Bible. Just, just instruments pouring off the page. They got the whole situation, all the trumpets, all the priests are decked out in their priestly garments. Everybody's there. It's a big day. They cut the ribbon on the temple and they say, and then you get to hear, you get to eavesdrop on what they're singing about. And it tells you in the verse right there in 2 Chronicles 5, they sang, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then you come over here, Psalm 48. Whenever we're in your temple, we're contemplating you're steadfast, you're faithful, you dig its heels in love. You sing that truth long enough till you start believing it, it'll start changing things. It changes your life. That theme has held believers steady for 3,000 years. And we sang about it this morning. We've got a better object in view now than they had then. We know God has commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we see the cross. We see the pinnacle of God's love displayed. And then the result is Mount Zion. I love that. Mount Zion is glad. Judah's villages rejoice. Why invest in our ministry here and our mission around the world? Because this is a place of joy, the church. This is a place of salvation. And third, this is a place to belong. God's people are a city on a hill. You can't be a city by yourself. <laughs> you need community. I've lived away from my family. I thought about this this week. Um, I've lived away from my family for most of my adult life. And yet I have never felt dislocated or isolated relationally because I've always had a church and they've been to me, the family of God. Let me just say, you're our family. I'm talking about the Masons. You're our family. We have grown because you've loved us. Like our faith is stronger than it would have been otherwise if we didn't have you in our lives. We're deeply, I look around this room and I could just start naming names of people 
vital role players in the strengthening of the faith of members of my family, myself included. It's an awesome thing. Somebody in the church sent me a note this week on Facebook Direct. And um, you, you just would not believe the way that the Holy Spirit has given this woman insight into our family's life since 2017. She said in the note, here's what I prayed for you in 2017. And then I felt led to pray for you in this way at the end of 2000. This is how I prayed for you in 2018. This is, what I, this is how I felt led to pray for you starting this year. I took my computer straight to my wife and in the kitchen, I'm reading to her, I'm like, how in the world could she possibly know how to pray for us this way? She's a sister. Matter of fact, I asked her, I said, this is a really weird request. But I said, could you, um, I don't want to copy and paste this. Would you write this for me? Would you, I want your handwriting and I want these words. Would you, would you do me that kindness? This, this psalm was sung on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and the people were coming from everywhere, Right? Gilgal and Jezreel and Hebron, and they're all just coming, flowing toward the city. This, why? Because this is their deepest identity. We belong there. We belong with God. I grew up in New Orleans, as many of you know, and so I, I went to a lot of Mardi Gras parades growing up, and right there on Veterans Boulevard, which is just a few miles from the house that we lived in. So we'd set up camp right there on Veterans Boulevard. That was kind of the family-friendly zone for Mardi Gras which is maybe hard to imagine if you've just seen television. Downtown was much different than veterans. So veterans was family friendly. We'd set up the ladder, right? I'd get on dad's shoulders and we'd throw me something, mister. We'd catch beads and all the floats would go by and, and then the bands would come and there their horns are just going up every which way and they're walking in step and I'm looking up at the floats and there's a barricade there keeping us off the streets and I'm just looking. They just look like they're having the time of their lives, the band and the floats, and I was just utterly standing, sitting there on dad's shoulders, utterly spellbound by the whole thing. And then there was a twist that I never really, never really imagined as a child. And that was, uh, you know, I played trumpet in my middle school band at John Quincy Adams Middle School. And our band was horrible. Uh, which is why we never got asked to play anywhere outside of our own school. <laughs> uh, they probably didn't want to hear us, but... That night, for some reason, I don't know who canceled, and they're like, Adams will be desperate enough. They'll jump at this, right? And we were, and they invited our middle school band to walk the parade. And so into my orange pants and my button-up orange thing and my big, tall orange hat with the little short bill, right? And my trumpet was out, and that night, I was on Veterans Boulevard again, but it was totally different. Why? Because I'm not behind the barricade. I'm in the band. So six miles later, freezing cold, feet in pain, absolute bliss. Why? Because for one night, I was on the inside. I wasn't watching something going on in front of me. They were having the time of their lives. I was swinging my horn. We were playing our songs. Average though we were, we were there. We were invited. We were a part of it. Look, you belong in the church. This, this is your place right here. This is the place where God changes you and me. This is the place where he's restoring lives. And you have family waiting here 
for you. You get roots here. There's a parade in verse 12. Verse 12 was a literal procession of God's Old Testament people. You just imagine. It says, walk around Zion, encircle the city. You know what that meant? It's saying, Men, women, children, families, singles, old, young, rich, poor, everybody gets a banner. Nobody's standing behind the barricades. We walk the city today. We sing our song. We play our horns. This is the community of faith. Everybody belonged. And they slapped their hands on the walls and they counted the towers. They said, it's so good to be in the walls of salvation. They're not spectators. They belong here. Why invest your life, your time, talent, treasure in what God is doing and what God is about to do in the church of Brook Hills? Because this is a place of salvation. This is a place of joy. This is a place of belonging. Roots matter. I want to leave us with three takeaways. So Brook Hills, number one, let's come together. And by that I mean join the church. Those who have been attending and maybe benefiting or being blessed or strengthened in this or that way in your relationships or fellowship or in our gatherings, I want to invite you in. Join the family. Don't just attend. Commit to grow in faith with these people. Commit to go and live on mission with these people right here. So let's come together. Two, let's serve together. So are you serving in a ministry? Here's a quick example. It takes 200, I had to look at this stat twice. It takes 200 preschool workers every Sunday to care for and invest in children from zero to kindergarten. 375 preschoolers. It takes an army of volunteers just to work that hall right there. My wife is on that team. They have an absolute blast. You should join that team. Here's here's another example. We need people to serve in special needs ministry. So God is sending us, this has increased 60% in the past nine months. God is sending us families with beautiful children who have special needs. And I was reading stories, this is where I was wiping my eyes, I was reading stories of Brook Hills buddies and what some of those buddies are doing to create connections with some of these children with special needs. They're go, going, hey, let's meet at the park. I know you're not going to be comfortable just walking up to a stranger on Sunday morning. I'll meet you at the park this week if that works out with your family. Just next level <laughs> service. You know what? We need four more buddies. Four families are waiting for buddies. Maybe that's you. I'm meeting this afternoon with a team of, I think, 70 volunteers who serve on our hospitality team. Grateful. So there are lots of ways to serve. The point is, get in the game. Get involved. Serve. Third, and finally, keep your Bible open because we're going to look at it one more time. Let's invest together. Let's invest together. So just look one more time at verse 12. Go around Zion encircle it, count its towers, note its ramparts, tour its citadels so that you can tell a future generation, this God, our God forever, 
and ever, he will always lead us. You see what's happening? This procession is not pointless. It's for the next generation. Old Testament believers were constantly thinking about the faith in terms of transference, generation to generation. They said, I want my children and their children's children to serve the God of Israel. Deep, they weren't short-sighted. They were thinking generations ahead. What's happening in this procession? They're saying, don't just walk around and just sing a song. Walk around with the spirit that basically gets on your knee before your child and says, hey, you see this? This is all yours. If you trust in Yahweh, you trust in Israel's God, this is your place to belong. This is our God, son. Baby girl, this, God is sovereign over everything in the world. He'll give you purpose in your life. This is this banner we've been holding, Jehovah Sidkenu, the banner your mom is holding, Jehovah Jireh. This is what it means. They're telling the next generation. They're filling them up. They're preparing them to serve their God. It's an awesome thing to keep the next generation in our sights. That's why, friends, we're so passionate about children's ministry and next generation ministry. So let me just bring this all back to a practical landing pad. The reason we're about to invest deeply in new space for ongoing ministry in part is because God keeps sending us more and more young families. I mean, we can't contain them. Every Sunday from zero to fifth grade, 650 kids on average, just in that age group who are being built up in the faith, taught God's word. If I can just brag on Brook Hills Preschool and Brook Hills Kids Ministry, because I don't do this enough. They're really good at this. Like if you're a parent and you've got kids in that age group, you, you know this isn't hype. They are really, like they should take this on tour. They should do conferences about how to do children's ministry because they're passionate about ministering to kids. They love the word. They know how to get great truths into young hearts. They're creative, they're fun, they come alongside parents really effectively. And I want us to just, we're gonna finish a little different, we're gonna have some fun. I want us to enjoy the fruit of that partnership between Believing Families and Brook Hills staff leadership and volunteers. So just this year alone, just 2019, our preschoolers, and this starts at the age of three, have been memorizing nine verses of the Bible. So they're memorizing more Bible than you are this year, our preschoolers, our three-year-olds, right? And, and so I've got two recitations for us to enjoy this morning. The, um, this first one is Harper Bordas, and um, you're going to see her quote scripture, and when she's done, we need to show some love. So watch this. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Mm. <laughs> Don't make the mistake of not standing firm in your faith. She will find you. <laughs> so, so, so here's a friend of hers. This is her friend, uh, Bo Dallas. And Bo... Bo worked really hard on this verse, and I just think he absolutely knocks it out of the park. Watch this. Look, I am the one that God is my every preacher. If anything can get school for me, go on my 37. 
What a joy, right? Roots matter. Here's, here's the situation. I was thinking about this as I watched those videos this week. Those two kids represent 400 others in their age group, right here at Brook Hills. And all you have to do is know what life is like in a broken world to use your imagination and you fast forward from these kids who are internalizing these truths and you fast forward 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, there's gonna come a day when the bottom falls out and when suffering, despair, discouragement, hardship comes into their life like the 82nd Airborne. They didn't see it coming, but here it is. And it's a, they find themselves right in the middle of an all-out war. And here's, here's the vision. Here's why we pray the way we do for the next generation. Here's why we sow the way we do for the next generation. Because here's how that's going to shake out by God's grace. That girl who's now a woman, she's maybe in her 30s, and a storm comes, and she's going to reach down. And Jeremiah 32, 27 is going to be right there. And it's going to grab her back. And it's going to hold her feet steady in the wind. And up above the surface of the ground, her tree is going to be blowing and whipping every which way and bending in all directions. But she's not going to move because she's got roots. Because God's word was sunk deep into her heart and life. And now she remembers, look, I am the Lord over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? And that truth is going to spell rescue. That truth is going to spell endurance for our children. That's the hope. Look, roots matter. Roots enable reach.